All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. Good day, football fans. Welcome to episode four of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. X's and O's for Jimmy's and Joe's. I am Thomas Bowen, and I'm here with my good buddy and semi-professional bourbon enthusiast, Andrew Drawsdak, who just coached his team to their seventh consecutive peewee football championship, sealing the game with a flawlessly executed annexation of Puerto Rico. Andrew, does that feel good to keep pummeling these kids every year? It really does. Uh, me and the Little Giants, we've been kicking butt now for seven straight years. Icebox, they keep trying to say she's aged out, and I don't want to hear that nonsense. Uh, no, she, she's still got some gas in the tank. She, she's still got some gas in the tank. She'll be defensive coordinator next year, but uh, she's ready to go. We're just we're just out there rocking and rolling, man. <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> All right, everybody. So let's let's week one happen, Thomas. Can you believe week one of college football happened? Whew, it was finally here, and I felt like just like Christmas, it was gone in an instant. What, what fun it was. And we've still got plenty to come. So we're going to start off today with some reactions to South Carolina's first game of the season against the Georgia State Panthers. We'll talk Clemson reaction. And then, oh, excuse me, before that, we'll talk uh, South Carolina-Arkansas, Clemson reaction, and then a look around college football because Clemson – in what an ESPN announcer described as one of the most difficult schedules in college football, we'll be playing Furman this week. Whew. Yeah, I don't think we need to dig into that one. No, I don't think so. No disrespect, Paladins, but uh, this is this is just not y'all's week. But all that being said, Thomas, we're going to talk reaction to SC uh, South Carolina football uh, against Georgia State. Thomas, lead the way. What are your thoughts here? on how, what you saw on the field. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm really going to stick to defense here. Uh, I've got plenty to say about the offense, but I'm going I'm to save those comments when you dig into that a little bit. Overall, good defensive performance for week one. Some, some typical game one mistakes and freshman mistakes. Overall, I really thought that it was a good confidence-building performance. Now, coming into this game, just like coming out of last year, rush defense were concerning. And rush defense coming into this year, wanted to see if that was improved. A lot of people came away from that game. And if you look at the box score, Georgia State rushed for 200 yards, averaged five yards a carry, right? Looks pretty good. So it's like, eh, maybe we've still got something to worry about. But if you dig a little bit deeper in that, this is one of the things that stood out to me about that. They had two chunk plays running rushing plays of 41 yards and 44 yards. The key there is those chunk plays and it was it was it was a busted assignment, it was a miscommunication, mm-hmm. maybe a freshman mistake. Those chunk plays did not lead to touchdowns. And if you take those out, then they really only rushed for 115 3 yards a carry, right? You know, it looks a little better at that point, don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um and I'll talk more about this in my reactions, but I was actually at the game on Saturday and for a uh, lengthy uh or try to make a short version of a lengthy story that was the first play of the game I saw in the stands was that first long run by Jamias Williams and it looked to me on the quick I was on the turnstile but looked to me like a a safety missed filling a gap 
and that was the cause of that issue. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And and also, as, as I mentioned last week, some different ways to attack that, that zone blocking scheme that Georgia State runs up front. <clears throat> Carolina attacked that front with gap integrity, as I mentioned. But one of the things that I saw early in the game, the, the linebackers were kind of getting lost in the wash early. They, they definitely cleaned some of that up, so, so that was promising there. I did see a, a fair amount of quarters coverage, which is that four deep with three underneath zone. Um, we even ran some of it out of a three three five base personnel on third and 10 plus. Uh, we also brought five on third down a fair amount. I like seeing that, bringing some pressure and turning some things up there. Um, lastly, I will say individual performances, a, a couple people that stood out to me here. Um, looking at Brad Johnson, that guy is a beast. And he he looked like every bit he is of like a ninth year senior at this point. I think. <laughs> he seemed to be everywhere, everywhere. He's in on every tackle. Uh, Debo Williams, I thought he looked really good. We brought him a good bit on some C-gap blitzes with success. And finally, De- Devonnie Reed, we talked about him last week. I was really excited to see him out there. And and he was as advertised, did a fantastic job as, as being that on-field coach, that experienced guy. There was a play that uh, w- which led to that first blocked punt that we returned for a touchdown where – he right before the play, he goes over to Emanwari, who who played phenomenal. That kid is going to be yeah. amazing for us. Um, got uh, moved him over, just shaded him a little bit, got him into position to, to maintain that inside leverage, and and allowed him to break up that slant pass on third down. But uh, all that to say, I feel better about the South Carolina secondary after this game. I really like Cam Smith at nickel, better run support. He he can fill that gap. He can cover. And uh, so overall, I think it was a good defensive performance. I would agree with you there. And how do I say the freshman from Irmo's name? Uh, Nick Emanwari. I knew, I knew Nick. I could handle Nick. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, you know, made that huge, was involved in the huge goal line stand there at the very beginning of the game and made a stick, an absolute stick on that play. On a week where goal line stands were pretty popular among college football, that is a true freshman that – Last year at this time was playing high school football at Irmo High School up in, uh, off Harborson Boulevard. To him to step in and, and make that type of play was just huge. I, I was really, really impressed. Yeah, I think he's going to be really special. He's and, and by all accounts from, you know, reading and, and hearing from other people that get to see it more than we do just in practice. Like he just gets it. He got it real quick and he's just jumped right in. And so I think he's going to be a really good one. I totally agree. Totally agree. All right. So I'll I'll talk my reactions. The one thing that, you know, not every week I'm going to be able to talk about or either one of us is going to be, is going to be able to talk about is the atmosphere. Cause I, I was there for the game. I was able to attend dude. It was awesome. Uh, I've been to a lot of Gamecock walks since that has existed in my time and that was massive. Like I, as much of a sellout as there was, there were so many people at that Gamecock walk that I, I mean, like not everybody there went to the game. Like it was huge and it went on what felt like miles and it was just absolutely phenomenal. Like I, I loved it. And, uh, you know, as a fan, that was just huge. Had to have those players fired up, you know, Thomas, the lights, the, you know, the led lights and the light show that went along, 
with um, with Sandstorm and other parts of the game. You know, it was funny. They tried to use them a little too earlier on. I don't know if you could tell on TV, but they tried to use them when, <laughs> when it wasn't too dark yet or it wasn't dark enough yet. And, yeah. I, and I was just kind of like, oh, guys, that's a little bit underwhelming. But as soon as the like, – <laughs> soon as it was nighttime, like, I was like, oh, yeah. okay, this is pretty epic. Full effect. Yeah, and, um, you know, to be honest, you know, Kurt Herbstreit, you know, tweeted out about, you know, these game day operations people having to make going to the game, you know, different experience than on being on TV. Of course, I've watched the game, um, the video of it, and many other aspects of it since being there live. I got to tell you, that changed the live experience. I have no idea how many, not just that, but there were many things that did. I don't know how many Carolina games I've been to in my life as a, you know, I'm 39 years old. I've been going to Carolina games probably since I was three or four. So between 35, 36 years. And that was the most fun atmosphere. And I've always loved Williams Bryce and our stadium and our atmosphere that I've ever been in. Like it was unbelievable. Uh, I'm sure you're going to try and get to a game this year. I know you've got, you know, your daughter on the way. And so that might not be, you know, in the cards, but I got to tell you, man, it was, it was epic. And uh, that was just, you know, just a cool thing that I thought was worth mentioning. Speaking yeah, of the- it looked, it looked every bit, every bit as advertised from, from TV at least. And, and I can still hear sandstorm from, from my back deck, not that, not to totally dox myself here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard nothing but good things about it. I definitely need to check it out. Well, and the coolest thing I will say that I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen it on social media too, is some of the drone shots of like them having the lights on, you know, and, and having a drone just above the stadium. Like it, that looked amazing. Oh. All right. So we're going to take a look here at, uh, Let's talk real quick about special teams because special teams were a really big part of this game, Thomas. You know, Mitch Jeter, huge congratulations to that guy. First two field Man. goals of his collegiate career are over 50 yards, and he <laughs> drills them. Nailed it. Like, Nailed it. When it when he, line, I, I, when he lined up for the first one. I think the first one might have been like 53, 52 or 53, and I was like – what are we doing? Are, are we faking this? There's no way he's going to make that. And I was, I loved being wrong. Right. Well, and when we, I thought the same thing. I was like, this is the most obvious fake of all time. Like, what, what are we doing? And then I was like, oh, we're going to kick it. And then he like, he hit the back net. He hit the net that like catches yeah. the ball. That thing would have been good from 60. So that was, you know, hey, absolutely great job by him. And of course, you can't not mention special teams and the two blocked punts that ended up in touchdowns. You know, you always hear Beamer ball, Beamer ball, Beamer ball. Dude, that was some Beamer ball football. Like, that was awesome. Loved it. I hope it continues. Uh, you know, that was one of my favorite things about those Virginia Tech teams with Coach Frank Beamer was, you know, a punt or a field goal or, you know, uh, even an extra point. It wasn't a foregone conclusion. It wasn't time to go to the bathroom, you know, go get a drink, go fill up your plate of food. Something crazy could happen. And I, we're building that at South Carolina right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. It does. It makes it more interesting, and you never know when something's going to happen. And I mean, I mean, when's the last time we blocked two punts in the same game and or returned them both for touchdowns? I mean, I, I feel like right? I saw somewhere it was like in the early two thousands that we blocked two. Not that we brought two and scored. I don't know when that had happened. So like that would take some seconds yeah. to find. But anyway, switching to the offense, you know. We'll get more into the offensive line play uh, a little further down here in a second. But, my goodness, um, Spencer Radler, I think I texted you 
early, early on with that play that, you know, the, the, the run from pressure to that just great pass uh, to Jalen Brooks, I, I, I said, we got, a, we got ourselves a quarterback. That guy has got an arm talent that is unbelievable. The only thing that is concerning is what Tim Tebow and Roman Harper pointed out on the SEC Network coverage. It's both a gift and a curse. You start to trust your arm a little too much. You start to play a little too much Patrick Mahomes ball. And we saw a little bit of that from Spencer in game one. And that was brought up by Coach Beamer, Coach Satterfield, and Spencer himself. So that's something we got to think about. We can't, he can't look for the home run every time. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd looked great, had a great first step, had a lot of things. But if I was going to say, hey, I'm a little concerned about this, his tendency to bounce outside was a little bit too quick, in my opinion. Now, there were some issues on the interior of the line that we'll talk about here in a second, but I feel like he bounced on occasion a little too early. Now, there was a couple times there wasn't anything there, so I'd rather him try to bounce and get something than just dive into the line for minus two yards. But uh, that's just something to think. But I will say with that, his burst was back. He got to the edge. He 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 could do some things, and so we got to get that short up. All right, you know I've I've bounced around it as long as I can. Thomas put me on a timer. Um, <laughs> offensive line play. You know we talked about it last week as we were getting ready for the game. You know we talked about it with JC. We've talked about it. You know really uh, all year or getting ready for this year and. It was not good. Um, I know Marshawn Lloyd and Spencer Rattler came out and defended their teammates, their offensive line teammates uh, on, on social media, which I appreciate them as teammates doing that. And let me say, just for everybody listening, like Thomas and I call ourselves slightly above average football fans because that's what we think of ourselves as. I'm not a coach. I coached high school. Uh, you know, I, I played high school. I never played college, never coached college. So I, I don't like I know it. I get on here and act like I have all the answers, but I don't. And also – I can look at this from a high school coaching perspective, and here's what I saw. I saw a lot of guys in the interior getting pushed backwards. Now, that was either we missed a slant by the D, by a tackle or a blitzing linebacker. They, they shot a gap, and we were late on it. Or we just got out, out bigged. I mean, I, it wasn't even bigged, out hit. I mean, because they're, we're bigger than them. And that is majorly concerning. Uh, the other big issue – Tight ends on the perimeter, wide receivers too, but tight ends on the perimeter. Fans, if you want to know whose fault on the line it might be when a play busts in the backfield, look for the guy who slaps his hands together right after the play. That's a, dang it, I missed my block. And we saw a lot of that from the tight ends. We saw a lot of that from the tight ends. And quite honestly, he's a very, very good player. A lot from Austin Stogner. A lot from Austin Sutter. There was a lot of hand clap, dang it, I missed that type reaction. Can't happen. Happened a lot. The other thing is eyes up on delayed blitzes. It it was a free-for-all. That initial snap would happen, and that delayed blitz would come, and it was a problem. Next thing, practice speed, Thomas, versus game speed. And, Thomas, you and I both know this. You can call it full speed at practice. You can call it that. But everybody at practice isn't going 100, 100, 100% like they are at a game. The adrenaline's not the same. The, the stakes aren't the same. It's different. So even if you spent scout team getting ready for a slanting, twisting, and I saw 
loops. So the difference, Thomas, I mean, you're a defensive guy, so you could explain this even better than me, but the difference between a slant, a twist, and a loop, a loop is a guy goes all the way around to another gap. And I saw guys, yeah. I saw guys doing that for Georgia State. That's wild. That's hard to block. Practice speed versus game speed, I think, costs us a couple. And Thomas, I said this a lot last season, and I, I hate that I'm saying it again. We got a little too narrow. So what I mean by that is when you're an offensive lineman, you are taught keep your feet wider than your shoulders. Keep your feet on the ground and wider than your shoulders when you block. And the most important step as an offensive lineman is not your first step. It's your second step. Offensive line coaches always talk about get your second foot in the ground because when you get your second foot in the ground, you have a stronger base and you can make a block. And we we really didn't have a great sense of that on Saturday night. And again, if you want to know the difference between narrow and wide, go out in your backyard with a buddy, stand with your heels beside each other and have him push you. See how far, how easy it is for you to fall backwards. Now get wide, get those feet a little bit wider, bend those knees a little bit, have them push you again. You ain't going to go back as far. My concern with zone blocking, particularly outside zone blocking, in my opinion, as a slightly above average football fan, it leads to that a lot because you're trying to really stretch a zone and you get narrow, in my opinion, got to work on that, got to get better at that. So we'll get a little bit more into that. Thomas, I know you said you wanted to let me talk offense. Give us your your two cents quick on that. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I I think in a weird way, and I am I am not making any excuses for this offensive line because it was very very bad. But the the, the style of, of this defense and with those undersized defensive linemen and a lot of those twists and slants and stunts, in a weird way, I think this offensive line for South Carolina matches up better with a straight up big defensive line like they're going to face this weekend. I'm not saying they're going to do any better. I'm certainly not saying that because I got a lot of problems with this offense and it starts with the offensive coordinator, but we'll get in that later. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say there, Thomas, somebody made a great point on the big spur message board. Um, a guy made a great point. He said, when you know you're going into a game and you're facing a, a slanting three, four defense, that's going to try and move around and come from different angles. Why would you try to attack the perimeter? And really that sounds super easy, but like, that really dawned on me because when I think about some of the times that the, this offense is based off the Rams, based off the 49ers, the teams that those those two teams in the pros have, have struggled with are the 3-4 teams, particularly the Patriots. And that is why they run a 3-4 offense, defense that's going to slant, move, and come at you. You got to adjust. Sometimes you can't just say, hey, we're an outside zone team. Can't just say we're a power team. You can't just say we're uh, an air raid team. Like you, you got to be able to adjust. So, but I do agree with you, Thomas. There is something to having a four man front that's you know three hundred pounders at, at tackle. They're going to play a one. They're going to play a three. And I, I bring this up here in a second. But Eric Douglas took a lot of heat on Saturday, and he's taken heat in his career. Let me just tell you something. In my opinion, there are fewer things, there are few, very few things as hard as being the center, playing a true zero technique. That means you have a true nose guard that is slanting one way or the other as soon as the ball moves. It's very hard. So I, I, I think he takes some heat. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not trying to make excuses. That is super hard to do. And somebody asked on a message board that I saw, why don't more teams do it then? It's really hard to recruit guys to want to do that. 
Because as, yeah. no, as a nose tackle, you're just trying to mess up the center, get him to, to commit to you, and a linebacker is going to come in behind you and make the play. So you end up with your nose in the dirt, no no glory, no nothing. No one's calling you from the NFL while the linebacker is going to make a big play. It's hard to recruit guys to do that. So that answer to me is why they don't do that. Uh, a lot, you don't see more teams do that. All right, let's switch gears to this week. South Carolina travels to Fayetteville to play the Arkansas Razorbacks. Before we get into any game breakdown, Thomas, did you see the national treasure that is John Daly on SC Network's version of College Game Day last week? Oh, I did not catch that one. So I may have, it wasn't even their version of College uh, Game Day. It was one of their things. You know, they were talking to him. He's wearing his hogs hat or pig's hat or whatever. <laughs> they They go to ask him a question, and he's just – not there. And he finally goes, guys, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm drunk as shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is a national treasure. And I was like, you don't never change John Daly. Never, <laughs> ever change. Like just full on honesty. It was amazing. So talking about this week, South Carolina to me, and, and everybody has a differing opinion on this, Thomas, a lot of people you'll see on the internet talk about, uh, diversity of the run game. And there is some truth to that. But to me, from what my opinion is, we need to get good at a few things um, in the run game. Let's get really good at three, maybe four run plays and run them at every formation we got. And maybe put some window dressing on it and things like that. The one thing we, in my opinion, we got to get a little bit away from is the long counter pull. What I mean by that is you got five offensive linemen. If you're running the counter to the right, the left guard, so the guard away from the play side, is going to step back, either turn and open or skip step, and try and go all the way down the line to block the last man on the line of scrimmage. So he has literally got to pass the center, the guard, maybe even the tackle to go hit somebody. We, blew, we, we missed that a lot, a lot on Saturday. And those were some of those plays where we actually had some decent blocking in the middle and we needed one block at the point of attack and it did not happen. And it was a guard on a linebacker because of the, because of the scheme and they danced around him and made a play in the backfield. And it happened particularly in the red zone early where they, they sunk Marshawn should have been a touchdown. Like if, if the, if the guard, if the backside guard, I think it was Lee on that play makes the block on the last man on the line of scrimmage on the counter, Marshawn walks in. He gets, he gets ran around, not blown up, because that's not what was happening on Saturday. And a lot of times on the on the perimeter, we weren't getting blown up. We were getting ran around. We were getting out-athleted, which is concerning. But that was what was happening. But if you got a guard who's over 300 pounds trying to block a linebacker that's 240, that's just it's not always great football. How do you counter an interior penetration, which is what we had a lot of on Saturday? Again, Couch coaching, armchair coaching, high school knowledge. This is what I would do. This is what I had done. It's time to trap those tackles, Thomas, or defensive tackles who line up over guards on the offense. I know that's confusing. Again, let's go to, we're going to run trap to the right. So the center is going to block back to the left on the tackle, who should be in a one technique usually or somewhere about. And then that backside or left side guard is either going to skip pull which it's exactly what it sounds like. He keeps his shoulders parallel to the line of scrimmage, skips his feet in some version of a way, keeps his eyes on the linebacker because that might be who he's going for. 
There's another old school way to do that. We used to call it the lawnmower pole. You take your arm, inside arm, you throw it back like you're pulling that string on your lawnmower, and then you go downhill to hit that other tackle. Either way, if those guys keep penetrating in, guess what's going to happen? They're getting hit from the side, hit from the side, hit from the side. They get tired of that. They're outrunning themselves of the play. They're not coming across as aggressively anymore. I, that is what I would do. Uh, that's one counter in my book that I would do. So either way, got to get better in the interior and got to get better at plays. I think of it as a baseball pitcher. Thomas, if you've got a great elite fastball, you need what? Maybe a changeup and a curve. Yeah. But but if Some you speed, yeah. if you you know if your fastball is okay, you may need a two seam and a four. You know, like you know, you need five six pitches. If you're great at one thing, you need two things off of it. Be great at one thing. Be great at one thing and have two things to go off of it. It's kind of like defensive end pass rushes. If your big move is the swim, what's your counter off that? What's your counter off? You know, got to be able to do that. Spencer Radler, I mentioned this earlier, and he said this today. Marcus Satterfield said this today. I, I love the uh, the verbiage they use: precise aggression. Precise aggression. They talked about being precise. He he was trying to hit too many home runs, and sometimes that can happen, particularly when he threw that amazing pass early in the game that you're like hyped up, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look for that every time. Thomas, I don't know uh, if, if I sent this to you or not, but fans, if you love football and you just love these guys, there's a show on po- a podcast called the pivot and it's a couple NFL guys, Ryan Clark, Channing Chowler uh, and T- Fred Taylor. And they talk different football guys. Talk, but anyway, they talked to Brian Byron Leftwich, who's the offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they asked him what makes Tom Brady, the best quarterback in the world. Thomas, you want to know what he said? What was that? He takes the first read if it's there every single time. He never gets bored with it. He never stops. If it's supposed to be that the first read is a seven-yard slant, he's going to throw it every single time. If it, if the first read's not there and the second read is, he's going to throw it every single time time you gotta you gotta take what the defense gives you you can't get greedy you can't get too fired up if there were several times during the game Saturday I, I thought Spencer played well he had a bad throw at the in the second half that was just a terrible interception but overall I thought he played well but there were times he missed five yard outs and when I say missed I don't mean he threw it and didn't complete it he just didn't throw it if you got a seven yard out and that's the play that's not your bailout route. That's read number one. Throw it to read number one if it's there. Be Tom Brady. You don't always have to try and be Patrick Mahomes because he's got an arm like Mahomes and he's got that accuracy like Mahomes, and it's it's hard not to do that. Throw those when they're there. Use that as your early running game. You know, Bill Walsh, famously with the West Coast offense, he would do that a lot. If they were struggling with the 49ers to get the run established, they would throw slants and outs and swings. to That became their run game to make you have to spread out. Oh, guess what? Now we're going to run it up the middle. It's, it's literally an if-then system. Finally, Thomas, I know I'm ranting because it's just frustrating to, to, to have seen the offense we saw do be creative with motions and and whatnot pre-snap, but they got to matter. It can't just be a guy coming across the um, 
coming across the formation on a, on a motion just to do it. If he never gets the ball on, on some kind of a jet sweep, all that is, is is nothingness. It doesn't matter. Like give it to him every once in a while, and then they got to pay attention to it. So those are my things. The big keys, two big keys, Thomas. Take what the defense gives you. Stay out of third and long. I know that's not rocket science. If you turn on any radio that's talking about football, they're going to tell you those things. But that's the two big keys to me for this game. Tail the tape this week. These two lines, Carolina's offensive line, Arkansas's defensive line, very similar overall. Carolina six foot four and a half, three oh six point five. Arkansas six three and a half, three oh seven. Pretty much the same, but more traditional front. Heavy dudes at defensive tackle, little lighter, more athletic guys at defensive end. Thomas, I'm going to stop talking defense there, let you take over and tell everybody what the Gamecocks are facing from Arkansas this week. Yeah, and I'm honestly kind of glad I didn't jump on some of that offense because I felt like I could have gone a, a, a good bit on that as well. Um, that that so could be, that could have been a whole hour show. That could have been a whole <laughs> yeah. hour show. You're probably right. So I'm, I'm going to stay on script here. Um, yeah, so Arkansas defense, this is a Barry Odom-led defense. Um, we, I've gotten into them some in, in last season, um, but but briefly for those who may not have called that, a lot of three-man fronts, traditional 3-3-5s, three, three, even, you'll even see some 3-2-6. He doesn't get super exotic, likes to rely on his front three, sometimes four to get pressure, plays that deep ball, and he's going to make offenses work for it. This is a good defense. Like I, I know we said last week going into the South Carolina game that Georgia State was a was a good defense. This is the legitimate SEC defense. The, 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 these are big boys. Yep. Um, experienced, good size and depth, led by all SEC linebacker bumper pool at the will or weak side linebacker. Um, then you've got an Alabama transfer linebacker, Drew Sanders, at the mic or the middle linebacker position. Here's one thing in this game that I think could be a big X factor here. Um, uh, they've been – Sam Pittman, Coach Pittman, has been a little cagey about the status of safety Jalen Catalan and their nickelback, Miles Slusher. Both of those guys left the Cincy game with injuries last week. These guys are huge, huge pieces in the secondary. So that is a big question mark for me on defense with them. But if I'm Arkansas, particularly after watching tape, no doubt, from last week in South Carolina's game with Georgia State, I'm very confident that I can get pressure bringing only three or four, and I'm just going to let my back seven coverage, just play coverage. Don't let South Carolina get the running game going. But also, I don't think they want to give Spencer Rattler all day because he will find somebody open. I yeah. think I think we saw that, and Spencer Rattler has shown that at least to me, in my very uneducated eyes, I'm not a quarterback guy, but he looks very comfortable throwing the ball on the run as well. So honestly, I just want my back seven to maintain coverage no matter what. Rattler's good on the run, and he always keeps his eyes downfield. Yeah, totally agree with you there um, on all those points. I, I feel like Thomason, correct me if I'm wrong that Arkansas's defensive line has a lot of depth. Like, they, they seem to have a lot of quality, not just the starting four, but when I look at those guys and I watch the tape, there were guys in that I was like, wait a minute, who's 99? He didn't even start the game, and that guy's making big plays. 
Yeah, yeah, they rotate a lot, and it keeps it keeps guys fresh. It's why they're able. He's able to get so much pressure with just those front three or four. The 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 back seven, particularly if Slusher and Catalan are out in this game, they they are susceptible. I think that's probably going to be the weaker point. But the the front the front four front five with the linebackers are really really good. Yeah, which just drives home the point that we gotta we gotta protect Radler to give him a chance. Uh, so switching to the Hogs' uh, offense, Kendall Bryles is the offense coordinator has been since 2020. He is the son of Art Bryles and cut his teeth uh, at Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma. Wow, Baylor, <laughs> Baylor. Um, oh man, and you know was heavily involved in the offense when a guy you may have heard of, RG3, Heisman Trophy winner, was there. And this offense is run first. They want to run the ball more than they want to pass. KG Je- or KJ Jefferson, their quarterback, number one, is a runner who has become a passer. Thomas, do you agree with that statement, that he is a runner who's become a passer, in your opinion? Yeah, I think he's definitely uh, at least becoming more and more of a passer. He looked good last week. He did, and he's getting better, but he, he's just a really good athlete. A lot of shotgun, pistol formations. You know, Shotgun means you're further back from the center. He's going to snap it to you from the beat. Pistols, you're a little closer. have a back behind you or it's just off the set. They're going to zone read you or at least have a cross look in the backfield where the running back is going to come in front of the quarterback Jefferson and Jefferson is reading something. He might be reading reading a defensive tackle. He might be reading a defensive end to pull the ball and run, or he could be reading a linebacker or even a safety to pull the ball and throw it. It is very hard to defend this offense, in my opinion, Thomas. Let, I'm not going to step on any of your stuff, but that's just my two cents because this offense is hard. It to me is a progression to what. Rich Rod was doing in West Virginia when he had Pat White and almost an option-esque type situation and similar to to Auburn's offense with uh, Gus Malzahn and what Gus is still doing down in uh, Central Florida. It's a hybrid of that, in my opinion. Ultimately, though, they want to run the ball. They want to run the ball, get you to commit to the run, to get you out of position to pass the ball. They don't have the wide receivers they had last season. They have good ones. I'm not saying they don't. They don't have the guys they had last year that were deadly if they got in space. So that's something to keep in mind. So, Thomas, how does South Carolina defend this Arkansas offense? Ah, It's tough. I think it's definitely going to be tough because you mentioned it. K.J. Jefferson is a beast Last week, you know, threw for over 203 touchdowns, rushed for over 60 in a rushing touchdown, can obviously really hurt you with his legs. Also, running back transfer from Alabama, I believe, Raheem or Rocket Sanders, as they call him. That guy rushed for like 117 last week, so he's legit as well. I mean, this this is a – you're right. They don't have those, those game-breaker wide receivers – that they have had in the past. But once again, they've got a really good tight end and a really good running game. And now they've got the quarterback that I think they've needed to, to run that, to really make that offense go. Um, but, you know, from a defensive perspective, I, I, I look at South Carolina to stick with their base four two five personnel. Um, I really think with Cam Smith at that nickel position um, for that run support with Rocket Sanders back there, yeah. 
I think, again, I feel like I say this every week because we keep facing mobile quarterbacks, but you got to put a spy on Jefferson, which, I mean, maybe Brad Johnson, considering he seems to be everywhere if you're going to spy him. But I, I really think South Carolina is going to load the box and sell out to stop that run and and make Jefferson beat them with his arm, particularly as, as good as the secondary looked last week for South Carolina. But the biggest point here with this defense that I think is going to make or break them is eye discipline. And and you talk about, it, you know, window dressing and linebackers and, and they can kind of get lost in the shuffle with a lot of things going on. You've got to pay attention and watch the fakes and things like that. Last week I, I noticed Arkansas, and, and you probably saw this if you caught some of that game, Rocket Sanders, that running back, mm-hmm. they would wheel him out of the backfield on passing routes instead of keeping him in, instead of keeping him in the pass block, now, this, this takes another man out of the box, and usually usually a running back out of the backfield like that is going to be covered by a linebacker, right, yep. which is going to be a, a huge mismatch. Um, so if, if this happens, I don't see why, if, 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 if everything else uh, allows for it, is putting Cam Smith on him. You already got him in that nickel position. He's up there for run support. Um, but bottom line, South Carolina really needs to get pressure with four and, and let that back seven maintain coverage and contain Jefferson. He's, he's going to be a real X factor. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he is a tough, tough guy to defend because he's huge and fast. Like you don't get both sides and speed like a guy like that very often. I mean, you know, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for sure. So when we switch into those final takes, Thomas, the South Carolina offense has to play a lot better this week to have a to have a good chance in Fayetteville. Um, it's an eight and a half line. Uh, South Carolina, Thomas. In my opinion, if they do all the things you just described, they play with good eye discipline. They get pressure with the front four. Cam Smith's kind of an X factor. Could be doing you know following the running back on that wheel. Maybe come on the occasional corner blitz. Whatever. If they scheme up well, which I think they can, and they execute well, which I think they can, I think the defense is strong enough to keep South Carolina in the game as long as they're not asked to be out there over and over and over and over <laughs> again. Yeah, that's 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 the 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 big key right there, you know. You you can't you got to have sustained drives from the offense to give that defense rest and keep them off the field. You can't keep going three and out, three and out. They're going to get burned out and they're just and Arkansas's offense is the type of offense that will just grind you down to a pole. Yeah, I totally agree. I Coach Beamer after the game and and this week and his press conferences and, and offense coordinator Mark Satterfield have said the same and so have the players that they feel as though South Carolina's offense is capable of making the necessary adjustments. The offensive line is capable of playing better. The perimeter players who struggled blocking tight ends, wide receivers are capable of doing that better. If that is true. South Carolina has a better chance to win this game than most people uh, nationally would would give us, in my opinion. If that is true, if if this offense can perform at the level that fans in Columbia and fans of the Gamecocks heard about coming into this season, I think they can play with Arkansas. If they play like they did offensively uh, against Georgia State first game, I do not think that. Uh at best, in that scenario, this is a 24-17 type game, in my in my opinion, to Arkansas. At best. Um, if they go three and out and three and out and three and out, it can get uglier than that. It could get much uglier than that. 38-17 type game. 
Um, I'm, I'm not optimistic at the moment. I'm just being honest. I'm being a fan. I'm not being a coach. I'm not being anything other than a fan. I'm not optimistic about the opportunity going into Fayetteville. Yes, we won by 21 points. That's great. Yes, Georgia State is a, a pretty good football team, in my opinion. We'll find out more about them when they play UNC this week and how good they really might be. But I'm not confident. Thomas, what what do you think or feel coming into this South Carolina-Arkansas game? Yeah, one of the things about last week was, and, and it's well known that uh, offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield, that he uh, he scripts out his first drive of the game. You know, going in, he knows he's going to run X, Y, and Z on this first drive of the game. And that's why a lot of times his opening drives, they look pretty solid. But then it's when he goes off script after that, it's where things just kind of go to hell in a handbasket. And I saw last week from a South Carolina offense, once again, with no identity, it was very disjointed. There was a lot of athleticism out there, and Spencer Rattler made a lot of really good plays. Jalen Brooks made a lot of really good plays, and so on and so forth. All of these guys made some good plays in spite of that. And so I'm not confident about that. I think you're right that you know Vegas put this game at just over a touchdown. If if South Carolina didn't have a chance, you know this would be a, a 20 point spread. But I'm just not confident in Marcus Satterfield's ability after after last week and all of the evidence we had last year. And it's a shame because there's a lot of talent on that offense. I do agree. I do agree. And it's maybe, hopefully, we'll be proven wrong. But based on the body of work right now, I can't say that I'm confident. All right, we're going to switch gears to the Clemson game against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And Thomas, they also had some offensive woes, but I feel like this is a great time to point out. South Carolina had some offensive woes. Clemson had some offensive woes. But you know who we all can be happy to not be fans of right now? The Iowa Hawkeyes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Iowa won a game. Was it seven? To, I know they scored seven. Seven to six. Is that right? Um, Maybe I seven to three? Five to three. No, they won by seven because I know I won. They scored seven because when I first saw it, I said they only scored a touchdown. No, 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 no. They got a <laughs> they got a field goal and two safeties. Field yeah, goal and two right. safeties. Wowzers! So South Carolina's offense needs improvement. Clemson's offense, which we'll talk about here in a second, needs improvement. But they are doing better than the Iowa Hawkeyes. Sorry, Iowa fans that might be listening. Holy cow! Sorry, Brian Miller. Love you, buddy. But <laughs> Jesus. Um, all right, Clemson's offense. You know, Thomas, we talked about this that they were they were they were the the stronger team, obviously heading into Atlanta to play this game against the Yellow Jackets. The biggest thing was how would the offense perform, and particularly how would quarterback DJU perform? Early on, it was super super shaky. Mishandles a snap. Mishandles a snap. Fumbles down in the red zone. And quite honestly, Thomas was just missing some throws. Now, there were times he was just throwing bullets. But here's my thing that I'm starting to notice. When a guy is wide open, he's doing a five-yard out, and they're running a cover three or a cover four, and that DB's in a back pedal, and he's given a cushion, and there's a five-yard out there, he can hit that pass. But when a guy's neck and neck or you know it's a 50-50 ball, that's where DJU really struggles. And – 
It's where he struggles also is throwing that ball in, in tight windows to the inside of the field. It And it's not an arm strength thing. It's like a confidence thing or a, a, a read the defense thing. He's just late. He's got a great arm in my opinion. It just gets there late. <clears throat> so for whatever reason, he's making a decision to throw that pass too late. Because once he throws it, it comes out very quickly out of his hand, but it's just late. That's my opinion there. Their offensive run game looked pedestrian. Uh, they they struggled at times, particularly on the right side of Clemson's offensive line. Uh, you know, Klubnik, Cade, is it Klubnik? That's right, Cade Klubnik. Yep. He, he gets in at the end of the game, does some things. We said <laughs> at last week, is there going to already be a quarterback controversy in Clemson <laughs> after this game? Yeah, it is. I'd say there is. <laughs> and the thing about playing for a minute, again, no disrespect, Paladins, is if things go even close to according to plan, he ought to get a lot of snaps on Saturday. Cade ought to get a yeah. lot of snaps. So now the problem is for if you're DJU, if he goes in there and lights it up, like, you know, even if you have a decent, let's say, call it a first yeah. half, let's say you throw 25 passes, you complete. 15, 18 passes, maybe even for two touchdowns, you look decent. And then the second half, they say, hey, we're going to give Klubnik the ball and you rest up. And he goes up there, goes out there, lights it on fire. Oh, that's starting to get a little uncomfortable as a quarterback for me, Thomas. What are your thoughts there before you talk to their defense? Yeah, and and the thing is also is (sighs) – yeah, and I honestly, yeah, right now I don't think it's a it's a controversy. But, of course, everybody loved the way that he played when he went in there and he just looked so fluid and so smooth. But here, here's the thing. You know, if if this does turn into a quarterback controversy, um, if you really look at that depth chart, they've kind of got to keep DJ happy. I mean, now I'm not saying that he's the kind of guy that, that would bail – you know, if he got relegated to second string, but there's, there's really nobody else. So let's say they do make the switch and then Cade ultimately gets hurt and they need that. They're going to need DJ there because they don't have anybody else waiting at the quarterback position mm-hmm. back there. Mm-hmm. there. There's, there's really not a lot of depth there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Um, you know, and, and like you said, you mentioned the offensive woes, I think they only had four plays of 10-plus yards in the first half. You know, oh, we're so used to seeing this Clemson yeah. offense just with these huge chunk plays down chunk the field. Chunk play, chunk play, chunk play. Yeah. Um, finally, all, offensively, and, and I don't know, uh, but just as, as a fan, as a slightly above-average football fan watching from, from my couch, Dabo, it seemed like he may have been a little bit more involved in the play calling in, in this game, at least based on how often he was buried in his call sheet and he was active on the headset. We've talked about that before. You know, would he start dipping his toes back in that with, with some of these under under-experienced coordinators he has there? But, again, we don't know. But the defense, of course, Clemson's defense was just as dominant as I expected them to be. Honestly, what impressed me probably the most was just the speed at every position. It's just it's their, their closing speed is insane. But it's really hard to, to truly gauge this defense against Georgia Tech. They they, they were pretty vanilla, uh, vanilla up front, ran a lot of zone covers, that, but they didn't have to do a whole lot. But, I mean, I still think if this defense stays healthy, they're, they're going to be one of the best in college football this year. 
Yeah, totally agree. What's the the defensive tackle? Is it Breezy? Breeze uh, number eleven. Breezy. 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 It looks like Breeze, yeah. right? Or am I crazy? Yeah, our Bressy. It looks like Bressy. Okay. All right. Well, either way, he is a monster. Like he, yeah. he's he, going to make a lot of money. He's going to make a lot of money. Like that guy. I watched him. Like I zoned in on him a few times because you know I just was like, how good is this guy? And I mean, wow, wow. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, and he's coming back from an ACL injury from last year too. So honestly, didn't I, I? I didn't know how much I would expect to see him play. And I think uh, Rook Aroro was probably going to play more than him at that spot. But no, he was out there a good bit, and and he he looked every bit as back. I love that that guy's name is Roro. Like that's just <laughs> actually his name. No disrespect, just it's great. All right, so let's talk about re- week one, Thomas. And I want to get into a debate here with you. Uh, we're not going to go too too long on it. But this has just always been something I, I feel strongly about. And we saw it come into play a couple times in week one. End of the game, you've got a chance to kick the extra point and tie the game and go into overtime. Or go for two and win it straight away. In my opinion, every <laughs> single time. Let me say that again. Every <laughs> single time. I'm going into overtime because at the very least I'm getting four plays on an on a two point conversion. I get one on a two point conversion. It's from the two yard line. Any offensive coordinator will tell you when the field is that small, it is hard to score. And again, it's one play Thomas. What are your thoughts? Do you, do you go for two? <laughs> do you know, is, is it a momentum thing? What, what, what's your thought there? I, I would love to be able to tell you that I'm, I'm, you know, just a riverboat gambler and I'm going for two every single time. But no, I, I think so much of that is is situational dependent. It's, it, it depends on, you know, is my defense gassed? Can they hold up in overtime? A, am I on the road? Is it – I will say this. I think it's a uh, – a lot of times you see this if, if it is a uh, much – much lower ranked team and they're okay. playing kind of out of their division. And if they've got a chance and it's going to be on the road for them, of course. And if they've got a chance to go for it and win it, then in that situation, why not? Cause you probably know you get into overtime and, and the big boys are just going to step on your throat. So, you know, if you get it, if you get it, you're a hero and you're a genius, but if not, you know, Hey, well you hung in there with the big boys. So I think it really depends on the game, the opponent, how much gas you have left in the tank. It's just too, it's, it's not black and white for me. Well, and I will say the one thing I've seen done before, and actually I was in it, I played in a game where we did this. So it's a chance to tie the game and win in overtime or play in overtime. But when you get in that PAT formation, typically the, the holder says something or flashes his hand and the snapper just snaps it. Doing a go on two situation where you flash or you go, go, and everybody snaps down to try and draw that defense off sides. Now we're even closer and we can try and dive into the end zone. I'd take it in that situation. But, like, I mean, and I agree. Let's say Furman – I said every single time, but you talked me into it. Let's say Furman somehow, <laughs> some way, has a chance at the end of the game to beat Clemson or go for, go for two to win the game. They, they probably should. They probably – I mean, it's not very likely – but in that very unlikely scenario, then yeah, they should probably go for two and not try to play for overtime. Yeah, I mean they've obviously got a, got a horseshoe up them at, right. at that point, so you might as well just let it ride. There's been several turnovers and pick sixes and snaps overheads, and they're very very lucky to be in that situation. So yeah, I hear you on that. All right, 
Another thing, special teams, Thomas, it played a huge role, huge role, both good and bad, in week one. South Carolina, we already talked about it. Two 50-yard-plus field goals from our field goal kicker. Two block punts returned for touchdowns. That's the good. The not-so-good. ECU, talking about kicking an extra point to go into overtime. He missed it. He missed it. Yeah, wow. and then and then ultimately then ultimately missed that forty two yard field goal yeah. that, that would have won it outright at the end. Yeah. But yeah, could have at least had overtime for him. Absolutely. And then you have the UNC situation where our uh, USC App State, where App State goes for two, misses it, then tries to onside kick it and gets three guys completely annihilated on a <laughs> touchdown. On an I've never seen that other than like Pee Wee football and. That was amazing. Then the really, really bad LSU, Brian Kelly with his oh. uh, fake Southern accent. My family. My family and me are so excited. Uh, Muffs two punts. Did they miss two extra points? I, know uh, they, I, think, I think so. I know they missed the one at the end to, to, to have a chance to go into overtime, but I thought they missed one earlier in the game. So, like, special teams in general, when it's good and it's your friend, you know, they were talking to Spencer Radler and the pre- and the presser today about, you know, were you excited seeing the punt? And he was like, heck, yeah, I was excited. It's a free touchdown. You know, so, like, <laughs> huge, but it can also be your undoing. Thomas, what games are you looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, you know, I, I I don't I don't know that there's a lot of hype around this uh, this noon game, Bama at Texas. But I mean, Bama's still favored by twenty. Like, Bama's going to roll there, right? I, I think so. Josh Pate uh, asked on social media, like, how many points does Texas need to score to uh, beat Alabama this weekend? And my favorite response to that was, it doesn't matter because they're not going to score that many. Like, it, <laughs> it's just wow. Uh, yeah, I think Bama rolls. I think Bama rolls. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, so. So we got that. Then three thirty. This is I'm really looking forward to this game. Tennessee at Pitt. I feel like this game is always exciting. Last year it was that crazy forty-one to thirty-four win for Pitt. So I'm excited about that game. I think this is an interesting game. It's at Pitt as well. Uh, you know, Tennessee's got that hyper-speed offense. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to pick here. Uh, I'm going to probably go with the Pitt Panthers. I'm going to make some Tennessee fans upset, but it's the home game for me, for Pitt. Let's see what happens. Thomas, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think uh, if if we're if we're gonna be if we're talking about numbers here, and, and Tennessee is favored by six and a half. If, if I'm getting six and a half. Then yeah, I'm taking Pitt there. Yeah, true. Okay, fair. If you're betting the line, definitely betting the line for Pitt. And then you have here uh, Florida and Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, Kentucky at Florida. I'm intrigued about that game. I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be as interesting. I mean, you know, Kentucky is still without Chris Rodriguez. He's out with a suspension. Last week, they only rushed for 50 yards against Miami of Ohio. Everybody is all pumped up on Florida after that that another really good game that went over Utah. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still withholding judgment on Kentucky on this season right now. And Florida is favored by six in this game. I was very surprised Florida beat Utah. Like very surprised. You called it. 
I was I was with the Utes, man. I was with the Utes, and it was a wild game. I'm not saying Utah played poor, but like you know, big win for for Sun Belt Billy, and uh, you know we'll <laughs> see we'll see what happens from there. All right, so we are the slightly above average football fan podcast. You can follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at at saa football fan at saa football fan thomas i hadn't told you this part yet we also now have an email address oh saa football fan at gmail.com at saa football fan at gmail.com if you would like to write us an email and there's a game you'd like us to talk about or a scheme you'd like us to discuss, we'll be happy to do that. Write us an email and tell us. All right, Thomas, as we head out the door, tell the people anything you want. Yeah, just want everybody to remember that Florida game, Billy Napier is the shiny new pontoon on the lake. But don't worry, Florida fans, because that pontoon still might have termites. Hello. Have a good one, guys. 